Now, it's good to see each of you on a day where it would be uh, easy not to be here. Christmas, holidays, threat of snow. And I realize some couldn't make it, but I'm glad you've chosen to. It does say to me that God is not a distant relative. He's a dear daddy to you. And I'm grateful that you're here. Uh, I want to share with you a message this morning God laid on my heart called People Then, People Now. You know, sometimes when we think about the Scriptures, we picture, well, that was so long ago and so far removed that somehow people were different. And although the culture was different, although they spoke a different language, they had hearts like our hearts, feelings like our feelings. And they were people similar to us. And, and this morning, there are three specific groups of people that I want to talk about as I think about people then and people now from the Christmas story. And uh, as we looked at I'll read uh, from the famous Christmas passages, a little bit from both of them this morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor as we look at Matthew 2 and Luke 2 and read a few verses from each. Matthew 2, 1-3, through 3, and then we'll go over to Luke and look at 2, 8-14. through 14. Matthew 2, 1-3. through 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born? King of the Jews. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And then Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. Let's pray. Here we are, Master, once again with hearts bowed in Your presence. We are here because once You were here, we are here because You died for us. And You have allowed us to live for You. And we recognize the fact that You didn't have to leave heaven. You didn't have to suffer. But You chose that path because You love us. And Lord, this morning I pray that You might speak to our hearts as we look at Your truth. And Father, may we look at our own lives, Lord, to see where we may fall in these three groups. And help us, Lord, to look to You 
And Father, I pray that you might speak, Lord. It's one thing to hear me, big deal. But may we hear from you, God, because that matters. So Holy Spirit, speak clearly and take your weak vessel and do some work, Lord. Thank you that we can be together and thank you for blessing us thus far. Continue to do so. In your name we pray. Amen. The first person to speak of was Herod. As Annette mentioned, Herod was a king set on getting rid of a coming king. He had heard from these magi that they, the star of the king of the Jews had been seen and they were looking for this king, a baby. Herod had one thought really on his mind. He tried to trick the magi. He tried to say, I want to go, I want to go worship the baby. So come back to me and tell me exactly where he is. But that really wasn't what he wanted. What he really wanted was to make sure that this king didn't rule in his place. He wanted to make sure that he was able to stay in charge. That he was able to be the star. And, you know, as you look in history and you look at this guy, he was cruel, he was ruthless, he put to death many people. As a matter of fact, history tells us that at the time of his death, he had it worked out that just before he died to bring in some of the most important nobles and leaders of that area and bring them in at the moment of his death to murder them, to make sure that somebody was going to weep. Because he didn't think anybody was going to weep for him. He wanted to make sure there was some crying going on at his death, even if he had to manufacture it another way. So this guy was a cruel character. But you know, as I thought about this, I I thought about your story, my story, and that the Bible says that all of us have the seed of sin within. It talks about uh, that first Adam, the story of the fall, and how we all struggle with having a sinful nature, being separated from a holy God. And even though we may not be near as cruel, we still have that problem, guys. Matter of fact, I'm always amazed in Ephesians 2. This is 2, 1 through 3. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So we were in trouble. I uh, I read a story this week I'd read to Cindy a couple of days ago I thought was cute about a little boy who he wanted a bicycle really bad. And his mom said, ask Santa Claus. Well, he had just been in a church play where there was a nativity scene. He thought, Santa Claus? I'm going to ask Jesus. So he started writing a letter. And in his letter, he said, Dear Jesus, I've been a very good boy, and I would like a new bike for Christmas. We stopped, and he thought about that, and he thought, "Eh, that doesn't sound exactly right. So he went back to work writing again, and this time he wrote, Dear Jesus, I'm a good boy most of the time, and would like a bike for Christmas. But that still didn't seem quite right. So he started writing again. 
And, and this time, he wrote, um, Dear Jesus, I could be a good boy if I tried hard, and especially if I had a new bike. But that still wasn't enough. And so went back and, and he wrote his final draft he was going to uh, send to Jesus. Uh, but uh, before he wrote that draft, he, he walked through the neighborhood and he saw a, a concrete statue of the Virgin Mary in a neighbor's yard. And so he ran over there, made sure nobody was looking, and he, he stole it. You know, he took it and he put it in a, in a sack and, and he went home and he, he stuck it under his bed. And here's what he wrote. He said, Dear Jesus, if you want to see your mother again, you'd better send me a new bike. <laughs> that idea within us, we want to manipulate God. There's something where we want to control God. We, we want our way. We simply want God to check off our schedule, our wishes, what we want. And guys, that's backwards. Although Herod wanted to keep his kingdom, so do I and so do you. And Jesus came to show us that it's His kingdom that matters. And it is only through Him as Savior that we're able to be set free. You see, the Scripture says there's a way that seemed right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Herod was following that road toward death. And so do a lot of other people today too. But there's a second group that we see in Matthew chapter 2 too, and that was the Magi or the wise men. And uh, we don't know exactly where these wise men came from. Uh, back in that day though, there was a group in the area of Persia that uh, this could be connected to as wise men. And you know, it's interesting, as you look back through there, we say, well, how, how would they know about the coming Messiah. How would they know about this star? Well, obviously they must have gotten a hold of some scriptures. Some of the Old Testament writings. And if you go back to the book of Daniel, uh, this is Daniel 1, chapter 18 through 20. It says, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So Daniel at one point was a magi. Daniel at one point was one of the wise men of the Persian kingdom. And and you bet, man, that here was a guy that loved God with all his heart. And it's not a hard sell for me to think that when he led in that area, that he didn't present to them the scriptures and tell them about a holy God that he worshipped and that he loved. And so there, anyway, could it be that these were the descendants of those who served with Daniel and those other wise men? I, you know, I'm speculating. I don't know the total answer to this. But the point is simply, what, what were they doing? They were searching diligently the Scriptures. They were seeking. They were looking for truth. Yes. And, and that's what the second group 
embodies to me. People who are seeking the truth. Who want to know what life's about. Who want to know those tough questions. You know, what is the answer? Um, what is life really about? Uh, you know, who is it who created me? Those kind of tough questions. And, and God has promised that if we seek Him, we'll find Him. He doesn't want to play hide and go seek. He wants to reveal Himself. That's His heart. These guys were seeking Him, and I believe that God in His mercy revealed the truth of the King of Kings who was coming by way of the star as they sought the Lord. I love, this is from, you guys know this scripture well, but it's from Jeremiah 29, 11-13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God reveals Himself. And of course the words of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Roman, I mean, uh, in John chapter 8. He said, I, um, to the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus said, I am the truth. And as they sought through those scriptures, it had to point to the Messiah. Listen, this is John chapter 5, verse 39. Words of Jesus. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. When you study the Scriptures with an open, honest heart, they always point to Jesus Christ. That's where the Scriptures point. Jesus said that. If you believe the Scriptures, if you search them, they point to me. Now, I thought about this through several people um, who had sought to disprove the Scriptures, who had sought to disprove Jesus. Uh, C.S. Lewis the famous intellectual who, in his quest to disprove God, became a Christian believer. Josh McDowell, uh, who has been well-loved in recent years, and and uh, he sought out on a mission to disprove Jesus and God, became a believer. Uh, in recent years, Lee Strobel, a guy who was a reporter in the Chicago area, set out to disprove once again in his efforts, uh, thorough efforts, he became a believer. The truth is out there. God says, when you seek me, you'll find it. And that leads me to this last group here. And that's the shepherds. As we look in Luke chapter 2, um, we found that the shepherds were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. That's Luke chapter 2, verse 8. They were going through their normal routine when God revealed Himself to them. The job of a shepherd was not a prestigious job. There were many in that area who did that type of work because it was a job of the poor. They were watching their flocks. And it was at that time that God showed up and in His mercy, He revealed Himself. 
And, and that's the story of every child of God in a sense. We're all simply going about our business when God shows up and He reveals Himself and He becomes real. And He gives us His hope. And guys, He impacts us and changes our lives and forgives us and He reveals Himself. They were just doing their job. They, they, they weren't doing anything out of the ordinary, but something out of the ordinary happened. As the angels appeared and as they brought their awesome message you know, as, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, when God wants to get a hold of His people, you, know, you go through that stage where He revealed Himself to you initially, but He wants to do more in your life. And as I think about us moving forward into this next year, at this time of year at Christmas, God wants to do more. And He wants to take us through what, uh, as I thought about this message, I think He wants to take us through shepherd school. Shepherd school. Now, what is that? Well, first off, I thought of several people he had used mildly that went through shepherd school. The first guy I thought of was Moses. Remember Moses, uh, through some circumstances, divinely appointed by God, he ended up being a prince in the palace. He ended up, I'm sure, having a feeling of exaggerated self-importance as people waited on him and as he was cultured and as he was privileged. But he ran away from that life. And what did he end up doing? He ended up being a shepherd. He ended up caring for the flocks of his father-in-law. As a matter of fact, we read in the book of Exodus that while he was out taking care of his father-in-law's flock, that's when the burning bush appeared. That's when God spoke to him. And then there was David. David, who ended up being in the shadow of his older brothers. And when Samuel came to find the next anointed king, he he went through the other brothers and he said, uh, Jesse, do you have anybody else? Any other sons? He said, well, there's my youngest. He's out tending the sheep, taking care of the flock, being a shepherd. And then there's Amos. Who uh, in Amos 1 verse 1, it says, Amos, he was a shepherd in Tekoa. But God would make him a mouthpiece. God would raise him up. These guys were in shepherd school. And of course, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now, a couple of things here, uh, lessons in shepherd school here as I get near the end here. First, in shepherd school, humility is learned. James 4 verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Moses had to be stripped of his false ideas of self-importance after being sheltered in the palace for years. David had to learn the importance of living in the shadow of his older brothers, taking care of the most mundane tasks. Amos had to, he was out of the limelight when the light appeared to him. Someone has said, it's being said that as long as you're green, you're growing. As soon as you're ripe, you start to rot. And when, when God wants to raise someone up to use them, He humbles them. Do you feel like you're in an, an insignificant role in a small place? <laughs> then you're right in position for God to use you. Because guys, that's how He works. That's part of His training. Humility is a stripping of our delusions of self-importance and a revelation that God has created us to be of importance. Second lesson, shepherd school is a time to be away from the crowd and alone with God. We get so busy 
that we don't hear God's voice. Joshua was a two-year-old watching his mom bake cookies. He got excited and he said, Mom, I want a cookie now. And she said, no, after supper. Well, he went to his room crying. He came back a few minutes later and he said, Mommy, I have talked to God about this. And God says that I can have a cookie now. And Mommy said, Joshua, God didn't tell me that. To which Joshua replied, you are not listening. God wants us to listen. And guys, in this hectic culture in which we live, it's too easy to get too busy to hear the voice of God, to hear what He is wanting to say to us. And it is so critical that we do. Time alone with God is never insignificant. We think we know where we're going, but do we? We need God to show us. Many times we think we know where to go, but we don't. We need His His guidance, His heart. Vance Havner used to say, come apart or you will come apart. That's another issue with it too. We need to come apart and be fed by God Himself so that we can go forward. Um, and the last lesson here as I close. Shepherd school is a preparation to care for God's sheep. Remember Peter? Man, Peter, he had a heart to do the right thing. It just seemed like he had a habit of doing the wrong thing. God, uh, Jesus, I will never deny you. But what happened? He denied him three times, right? He was broken. Jesus appeared to him. And remember what he said to him three different times. Do you love me? And Pete, um, feed my sheep. Matter of fact, turn me to John uh, chapter 21. As, as we get near the end of this message, and uh, I want to look at that section. Verse 15. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Now, that word feed is to nourish. And of course, the lambs are the young ones. And he's saying, Peter, I want you to take care of those who are young. Young in age, young in the faith. They need you. You've been with me. It's time for you to impact those around you. Take those who are young, those who who need somebody to come beside them, to love them, to tell them the truth. Nourish them. Nourish them with my word. Nourish them with my love. But nourish them. Because that's how they're going to grow, Pete. And and then he goes on. uh, He says again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. To take care of is to guide, to provide. He and, and this is inclusive. This is not just to the young ones. Not just to the young sheep. To all the sheep. He says, Peter, if you love me, then you need to look around me. You need to see my people. <laughs> you, you need to know who they are. And you need to know their needs. And you, and you need to pray for them. And you need to be vitally connected to them. And th- that's how you love me, Pete. 
That's how you be a shepherd to them. That's the call. That's the call. And then he closes. He says, once again, to feed them. Feed my sheep. To care for them. To guide them. To protect them. Now, as, as I close this message, I, I thought about this, of course. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He shepherds us. He loves us. He guides us. He protects us. He's there for us. But we are called to follow his example and to shepherd those around us. To care. To love them. To be in touch with them. And I ran across this piece by Max Lucado who's written so much stuff that just is like amazing. What a gift. But he shares well here, I think, this concept of our God being our shepherd and the fact that we too are to serve as shepherds. Uh, Listen to Max's words. Behold, a hero of the West, the cowboy... He rears his horse to a stop on the rim of the canyon. He shifts his weight in his saddle, weary from the cattle trail. One finger pushes his hat up on his head. One jerk of the kerchief reveals a sun-leathered face. A thousand head of cattle pass behind him. A thousand miles of trail lie before him. A thousand women would love to hold him, but none do. None will. He lives to drive cattle, and he drives cattle to live. He's honest in poker and quick with a gun. Hard riding, slow talking, his best friend is his horse and his strength is his grit. He needs no one. He's a cowboy, the American hero. Behold a hero in the Bible, the shepherd. On the surface he appears similar to the cowboy. He too is rugged. He sleeps where the jackals howl and works where the wolves prowl. Never off duty, always alert. Like the cowboy he makes his roof the stars and the pasture his home. But that's where the similarities end. The shepherd loves his sheep. It's not that the cowboy doesn't appreciate the cow. It's just he doesn't know the animal. He doesn't even want to. Have you ever seen a picture of a cowboy caressing a cow? Have you ever seen a shepherd caring for a sheep? Why the difference? Simple. The cowboy leads the cow to slaughter. The shepherd leaves the sheep to be shorn. The cowboy wants the meat of the cow. The shepherd wants the wool of the sheep. And so they treat the animals differently. The cowboy drives the cattle. The shepherd leads the sheep. A herd has a dozen cowboys. A flock has one shepherd. The cowboy wrestles, brands, herds, ropes. The shepherd leads, guides, feeds, and anoints. The cowboy knows the name of the trail hands. The shepherd knows the name of the sheep. The cowboy whoops and hollers at the cows. The shepherd calls each sheep by name. Aren't we glad Christ didn't call himself the good cowboy? But some do perceive God that way. A hard-faced, square-jawed ranch hand from heaven who drives his church against his will to places it doesn't want to go. But that's a wrong image. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. The shepherd who knows his sheep by name lays down his life for them. The shepherd who protects, provides, and possesses his sheep... The Bible is replete with pictures of God. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord's my shepherd. Psalm 79, 13, we are your people, the sheep of your flock. Psalm 80, verse 1, shepherd of Israel, listen to us. You lead the people of Joseph like a flock. Psalm 95, 7, he is our God and we are the people he takes care of and the sheep that he tends. Psalm 100, verse 3, he made us and we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep he tends. Also, the imagery is there in the New Testament. Luke 15.4 He's the shepherd who will risk his life to save the one straying sheep. Matthew 9.36 He has pity on people because they are like sheep without a shepherd. 
Luke 12, 32, his disciples are his flock. Matthew 26, 31, when the shepherds attack, the sheep are scattered. 1 Peter 2.25, he's the shepherd of the souls of men. In Hebrews 12, verse 30, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. 80% of Jesus' listeners made their living off the land. Many were shepherds. They lived on the mesa with the sheep. No flock ever grazed without a shepherd. No shepherd was ever off duty. When sheep wandered, the shepherd found them. When they fell, he carried them. When they were hurt, he healed them. Sheep aren't smart. They tend to wander into running creeks for water. Then their wool grows heavy and they drown. They need a shepherd to lead them to calm water. They have no natural defense, no claws, no horns, no fangs. They're helpless. Sheep need a shepherd with a rod and a walking stick to protect them. They have no sense of direction. They need someone to lead them on paths that are right. So do we. We too tend to be swept away by waters. We should have avoided We have no defense against the evil lion who prowls about seeking who he might devour. We too get lost. We all have wandered away like sheep. Each of us has gone his own way. We need a shepherd. We don't need a cowboy to hurt us. We need a shepherd to care for us and to guide us. And we have one. One who knows us by name. This is a time we traditionally call invitation. Time to respond. We got three groups here. People then, people now. Maybe you're at a point in your life where um, you've heard about this king. But the truth is, you want to be king. Let me tell you guys, uh, anybody here or there, that's a dead end street. There's only one king. And when he's not in charge, everything else will fall apart. Eventually. So my plea is if that's where you fall, that can change. You can trust the true king instead of trying to be king. Maybe you're part of the second group. You're looking for the answer. But it hasn't quite come together until now. You've heard about this one who's the good shepherd, not the good cowboy, who cares about you and loves you. He provides salvation. And you've been looking and it's clicked. Now it's time to come down for that if you're there. As I look around me, most of you guys, I believe, fall into the shepherd category. You belong to Him, the Good Shepherd. And you love Him. And as you look around you, a lot of us who aren't here today too, are the sheep. And He's called us all to take care of the sheep. Take care of one another. And He says, you show me you love me when you do that, guys. And so maybe um, that's how God's spoken to you. I just want God to speak. Because like I said, you know, there were people then, but the people now, we're just the same. We still need God in our lives. We have an open altar. Um, I'll be at the front as we sing a, a closing song. But I, I pray most of all that God will simply touch our hearts and we'll say yes to whatever it is He wants. Let's pray. Lord, uh, Here I am once again. I don't deserve your mercy and your grace. It would be easy to see you as a cosmic cowboy who drives me to something I could never do. But that's not who you are. You are the good shepherd who has chosen to take care of me, 
your sheep, your lamb. And Father, we can all tell that story here. Uh, what do you want, Lord? May we just come. Um, all of us fall into one of those three groups. So where are we? Where am I? May each of us ask that question and respond to you this morning. Lord, have your way. Thank you for being the gift in a season of gifts, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.